Welcome to The Deal with Danny Brown. I'm your host, Danny Brown, where we break down the most successful real estate agents and real estate moguls in the world, find out their habits, their routines, their wisdom, their advice, their mindset, all that good stuff. We've been doing it for six seasons, seven seasons, maybe eight seasons now. So please find us on any podcast format and on YouTube, subscribe, leave us a comment. Uh, this, This week's guest, incredibly impressive. It's Wendy Forsyth from Compass. She's the president of the Western United States, which includes Hawaii, California, uh, and other markets. She started uh, her career as an agent in Nova Scotia, a very small town with some frigid cold winters. And now she's all the way in Southern California, Newport Beach, so she's come a long way, but an incredibly inspiring story. Uh, she became a top agent first and then head of her own brokerage and then acquired, then she got on the leadership side. And now she's running West Coast for Compass uh, with some of the best agents in the world working underneath her, and you know the story. Uh, you can find her anytime, Wendy Forsyth at Compass, and her Instagram is at Wendy, but it's Wendy Forsyth, spelled F-O-R-S-Y-T-H-E. School is in session. You better grind if you don't want to be left behind. Enjoy it. Hey, Wendy, welcome to The Deal. Good to see you. Hey, Danny, good to be here. Well, great to get together uh, on Zoom and want to get into the market and the world and what we're dealing with. Wendy is the president of Compass for the Western United States, California, Hawaii, etc. Um, that means you have a 30,000 square foot view of a lot of big luxury markets uh, on the West Coast. Uh, you're, you're in leadership and operations, etc. But before we dive into what's happening today, here we are in July of the summer, let's get to your story first, because you're a Canadian, right? I am a Canadian, yes, a Canadian that found her way to California. A, a surfing Canadian. So walk us, you don't surf, we'll have to, we'll work on that. We'll have to work on that. Does, don't you live in, in Newport now? I, I work out of our Newport Beach office. So yeah, live here in OC, um, but just never took up the the surfing in my time in California. It's uh, it's on my to-do list though. You know what? I'm going to have to get some boards for that office if there isn't any. And next time down there, we're, go, we're paddling out. That's right. Well, you know, we do have lots of surfboards in uh, any of our Compass California offices. So uh, anybody wants to drop by and visit, we'll, we'll find them a board for sure. All right, so let's jump in. Let's talk to me a little bit about where you grew up and where you went to school and how you even got into this godforsaken real estate business. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say godforsaken. I consider myself um, extremely blessed to have had a, a long career in real estate. Um, I was originally uh, born and raised in Nova Scotia, Canada. So uh, on the East Coast, on the Atlantic Ocean, so uh, pretty much about as opposite of California as, as we can get, um, started my real estate career there. And um, as I think many you know, career real estate people will share, um, I got into the business at the influence of my family, specifically my dad who um, is a new home developer still to this day. Uh, but I grew up uh, around real estate, you know, hanging out with dad was checking in on job sites over the weekend and uh, getting the lowdown on, you know, the houses that he was building. Um, so, you know, loved the business. Um, 
he's so funny. He's been one of my my greatest mentors, but uh, decided, um, you know, I would go to, to college to business school and uh, went to college in uh, my local hometown and uh, was going to be a CPA. So a nice practical, you know, career choice. I would, you know, go into accounting, got into my second year of taking my uh, four-year degree, and they had all of the, the really fun accounting courses, you know, taxation, managerial accounting. I mean, it was bananas and yeah, auditing and just all this stuff. They called it your core year in, in that particular program. Um, so we were wrapping up, it was coming up to summer break and I was like, you know, dad, I don't want to be a CPA. I don't want to be an accountant. And he was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't know. I want to be a business person. And I had, I had a marketing elective that year, one of my electives and uh, a very cute marketing professor who, you know, just convinced me that I should probably take a lot more marketing courses and that, you know, really is, would be fun. Um, So my dad said, well, look, if you want to be a business person and you want to go into marketing, you need to learn how to sell because no matter what you decide to do, you're going to have to, to sell. And by the way, I just opened up a subdivision development and have two spec houses that need to be sold. So why don't you go get your real estate license and you can sit open houses all summer in my spec houses. And if you sell one of them, you're going to make more money than you would at some part-time job working retail or, or something like that. So that's how my real estate career started. So I uh, got my license. I need to pause. What town is this in Nova Scotia? Because this is so foreign. You know, you're in Newport and California. It's a long ways. It's a long ways. Talk to me about Nova Scotia and, you know, the winters and building houses in Nova Scotia. What is that like when it snows? But what's the town called where you grew up? So this was Colebrook, Nova Scotia. Okay. So um, the, in the, the area, the region is called the Annapolis Valley, um, a wonderful part of the world, famous for um, apple orchards and uh, the highest tides in the Bay of Funday in the entire world. Those are claims to fame. <laughs> and brutal winters, I assume. Brutal winters, yeah, typical Canadian winter, as you would expect. Um, from the building perspective, you just hoped to get the foundations in the ground because in that part of the world, they still build a lot of basements. Okay. So, you, you know, digging the, the foundations in, uh, you know, unlike here where we do so much on on cement slabs. But yeah, you got the foundations in so you could get the uh, the buildings, um, you know, wall tight and roof tight and then do the inside work during the blustery winter days. So that's it. You got to time it right or you're done. I mean, you got to be working inside once it, because that's real winter. I mean, it's below zero type stuff. This isn't uh, Santa Monica and uh, Laguna, you know. Yeah, it it isn't like, you know, a rainstorm and the world stops. (laughs) Oh, it's 50 degrees and uh, it's a little wet today. All right. So you cut your teeth in the family business, so to speak. You're selling in Nova Scotia. Uh, the minute you did that, was it like, okay, light bulb went off. This is what I want to do. And I want to do sales and be an agent full time. Is that. 
I mean, I, um, you know, I went back to school that fall. So, um, you know, worked selling real estate that summer, went back to school in the fall, finished my degree, but still kept selling real estate. And that first full, like 12 months, um, did just over a hundred transactions. Wow. This is in the early nineties. So now I'm dating myself. Uh, but it was in the early nineties and, um, you know, I just was one of those, I've always been, um, an avid learner and I was just one of those people that, um, like when the other agents around the office, like kind of told me to do something, I, I did it and didn't ask a lot of questions. So I'll give you an example. Um, like I'm really dating myself, my goodness. So this was back when the MLS system was a three ring binder. So on Thursdays in, in my local market, all the new listings would get delivered via a courier to all the real estate offices. And you'd get your little stack of paper with your new listings. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a big, there's a little stack of paper. And I would spend Thursday nights like entering the new listings into my three ring binder that was color coded and indexed and by price and all of these things. You're organized. I would, yeah, totally that type A personality. Type A, you're type A, Wendy, shocker, shocker. But in the office, there was this big bookshelf of other three ring binders that were labeled expired. And for the first couple months in the summer, I didn't really know like what that meant. But then somebody told me like, oh, those are all the listings that didn't sell. You know, you can call those people and see if they want to, you know, relist. And I was like, well, heck, like, let me start calling people. Right. Sure. <laughs> so I I just would sit at open houses and call expireds. And Danny, you have to you have to envision this. It was the early 90s. I had leftover 80s hair. Ha, so, big hair. Big hair. Um, for those of you that are watching this, um, you can see white cat shoes. What would they wear? Well, I was very stylish in my small town. Um, but like, I look back on it now, I'm like, how did these people ever list their houses with me? But if I could get in the door and I could like, they could see eye to eye, they knew, I knew the market. I knew the inventory. I knew how to, you know, position the property. And now I would say merchandise the property. I wasn't quite, um, that sophisticated then, but, um, you know, a lot of how people make decisions is off of our energy, right? And and they they would they would entrust me with the sale of their homes. So those were my early days. For context, give me an average typical sale in the early '90s in Nova Scotia. What did the house look like? How big was it? What price was it? Uh, I mean, this is just so far from the world we live in now, Danny. But um, I'll. I'll I'll tell you about my first sale. My very, very first sale was a $4,000 mobile home. And in that part of the world, a mobile home, like it had wheels. So it was like a 16 by 60 or something, um, you know. Like a trailer. It, it was a trailer, yeah. And it had to be moved from where it was located. Um, somewhere else because it was on like a leased piece of land. You got to find a place um, to put it. All right. But but you want to know want to know the fun part of that sale is I double ended it 
buy side. And I got a $1,000 flat fee commission. That's huge. If it's 4,000, that's 25%. I know. Um, so, but so the average sale price at that time was like probably about between 100 and 200, about 150. Uh, that would get you like a 1200 square foot uh, single family home on maybe a half acre. Um, you know, today I'm, I'm happy to report it, it's much, much higher in that market, but uh, it, was, it was a different world and a different place back then. So good question. If you buy a nice family home now, is it in the millions dollar range? And that, yeah. So nothing is five, $5,000 anymore. No, not, e not even a trailer, Danny. Yeah. Damn. Damn it. It's going to go flip trailers in, in uh, Annapolis Valley. Let's go. All right, so let's talk through your progression now, your your career arc. I know at some point you started your own brokerage. You were still very young. This is, you know, so here you are. Talk to me, talk me through the different steps and what led you from being an agent to being your own broker to moving over to management leadership side. Yeah. So I, um, life was going really well as an agent, you know, yeah, I was, I was young, I was making really good money. Um, the brokerage that I was working for approached me and they had multiple small offices in and around the, the market area and they needed a manager for one of their offices. So typical to our business, especially back then, because this was before teams and, you know, the, the current environment that we know, if you were a good salesperson, the next step was you became an office manager. Um, so I got tapped and, and offered that opportunity. And, you know, my, my dad, again, had a big influence, um, still is to this day, big business and personal mentor for me. But he gave me some great advice. He said, look, if you're going to go into management, which I think you should, because you should learn how to manage people, uh, much like his, like, you need to learn how to sell advice. He was always thinking that next step, right? Good mentor does. Um, he said, you're going to make less money than you are just selling because your you know, time is going to be divided. Um, but you should negotiate with the owners of this brokerage that you have the opportunity to buy the business from them. And, and this was a, a satellite office of their main office. Um, so that that's what we did. And um, that's how I got into um, owning my own brokerage. So, um, you know, it was a fascinating time. I don't know if I'd ever do it again, but I, I'd never trade it for the world. Um, like I remember, uh, you know, you just, when you're that, when you're in your 20s, like you just don't know any different, right? Um, but you know, to paint the picture, I was, you know, by this time, like mid twenties, uh, female in a small town where you know you the brokerages in town were predominantly, you know, owned by middle aged men. Um, like I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't recruiting the like top producer from Remax in in my town, right? They weren't coming to work for, right? So I had to find a way to build the business. And for me, that was by um, attracting new agents into real estate. 
So I was able to develop like a pre-licensing training program, take them through licensing, get them licensed. And then I had to like teach them how to be productive um, so that we could all, you know, pay the bills and, and eat. So that's how I grew my brokerage. Um, and, and so that was that next phase. Yeah. So that's interesting because it just shows that you found your niche, even though the chips, everything was stacked against you. It was an old boys club. You were a young girl in your mid twenties. It was, you know, not the prototype of that time. You figured out what is my, what is my wedge? What is my niche? And you figured out, let me find new agents. Let me develop them. Let me spend that time and be better at that than the big old shops that were out there. So that's really smart. And obviously you had some sage wisdom. It sounds like you had a dad that not only was in the business as a builder, which really helps your nuts and bolts knowledge, it gave you great advice to do, you know, learn sales. Everyone has to learn sales and marketing and, and learn managing people. And you already went to school for accounting and, you know, so all these things together make for a very impressive business skill set. Uh, but you clearly did the work and were a grinder and figured out expireds, right? Everyone's probably said there's the book of expireds, but you were the only person to call everybody. No one else wanted to do the work. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is, it's very much about doing the work, right? We all, all know that. Yeah. You, you got to execute on the work. We, there's not, it's not reinventing the wheel in residential real estate. We know what to do. You have to actually execute better and do it. All right. So now you have a successful brokerage. You're still in Canada. What was your transition? And I don't know if it was a one step or multiple, but take me through how you ended up in California. Yeah. I, so it's kind of multiple steps. So I was running my brokerage. Um, and there was a, there's always like a like pivot moment, right? Like an event that makes you kind of evaluate things. And, um, the top team of my brokerage, a husband and wife, um, and this is before we called them teams, but husband and wife, I had hired them brand new, like taking them through my licensing program that I described. They had become, you know, they'd become close friends. They, um, you know, really like just propelled in the market, uh, walked into my office on like a January 3rd, like kind of the first day back after the holidays and told me they were leaving and going to another brokerage. And, you know, any of us that are in the brokerage business, right? Like we know that that's like a dagger to the heart. And, you know, I asked them why, and they were, you know, brutally honest with me. And their feedback was, we don't know if you're all in. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, well, you know, you're you're going off to these conferences and you're speaking at events and you seem really distracted. And what had happened was as I had, you know, grown my own sales and then started growing the office, I had started getting opportunities because I was part of a franchise organization. So, you know, the franchises always have their big conferences. So I was a little bit of like an anomaly, right? Like let, let's ask her to come speak on a panel. Let's ask her to come to the, you know, the leadership event. And of course I was soaking all of that up. You were leaning in and going for it. Yeah. Yeah. But in the course of doing that, wasn't present in my office, wasn't all in pouring into the agents like I had done. So that was a real wake up call for me. 
of like, what do I really want to do next? And, and with some soul searching and, and as kind of the universe would have it, I had about that same time, um, a local independent in the market had approached me about acquiring me and, and wanting to, to grow their business. So um, I did end up selling the brokerage to them, merged our two companies together and then that opened up, um, you know, a door for me to move into the next chapter. And I mentioned I was part of a franchise. So the franchise company that I was with, of course, had to approve the sale, um, you know, of my brokerage. And their immediate question was, what are you doing now? And uh, they subsequently offered me a role at uh, their corporate head office in Toronto, Ontario, so that was the the big move from my hometown where I was raised, school, started my career um, to Toronto. Uh, worked for that company. That was a company called Royal Page, which is still to this day one of the dominant uh, brokerage companies in the Canadian market. Um, so worked for them for a number of years. Uh, learned a lot about moving from, you know, the real estate entrepreneur into you know a different type of leadership role in the industry and then subsequently uh was recruited here to the u.s by realogy and uh, realogy which of course now is anywhere but this was back when they were realogy um in 2007 i joined them and they had just acquired the rights to the better homes and gardens brand from the publishing company and we're getting ready to relaunch that brand um, as one of their portfolio brands into the market. So I was employee number two um, at Better Homes and Gardens and made the move from Toronto to New Jersey. Okay, cross the border. Cross the border. So that was, that was the jump. Uh, and that was an interesting time because that was the fall of 2007. Ah. Um, I was... I was a Canadian kid, you know, jumping into Northern New Jersey culture. So I, I stuck out like a, a sore thumb with my, you know, smiley face and, and pleasant. Forget about it. <laughs> I can't say sorry all the time. And like, they, they were like, oh, you're not from here. <sighs> um, but then we, we actually launched the Better Homes and Gardens brand in the summer of 2008. And of course the market crashed that fall. Lehman's crashed. You know, fall. <laughs> so it was a, a really interesting time in um, in my career and in in the market. Um, but uh, you know, we we subsequently pushed through, built that brand, and uh, then uh, about five six years later, I was offered an opportunity to come run a brokerage here in California. And uh, you know, you you mentioned um, you know the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia, in the winters. Yeah. So for a kid from that part of the world, when you think of working in the U.S. as an adult, you think of working in Southern California. <laughs> so that's how I made my way to California. So California has some pull and some juice. If you grew up in Nova Scotia winters, you're like, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> that sounds good. When I first moved uh, here to California, I remember uh, one night talking with my dad and I had been here maybe six months um, and my dad was like, oh, how's the weather? And I was like, oh, you know, dad, like, it's good. And he's like, you know, well, we had the first snowfall here. And, you know, you miss the snow, right? Like, don't you miss the fall and the changing of the leaves? And it's so beautiful. And, 
I must have been a little tired that night because I remember kind of snapping back at him. And I was like, Dad, I promise you, if I never live through another snowstorm in my life, I will live a rich and fulfilled life here in California. <laughs> well, it's unlikely that you're going to have one here at uh, Newport. All right. So let's now bring us to today. You, you know, you have a, a leadership and a management role overseeing a big part of Compass's West, uh, Western United States. Uh, clearly, your background is so dynamic and impressive from sales and management and operations and startup mode to large mode and everything in between. You've had a lot of incredible experiences. So now here we are, 2023. You're at Compass. We're the biggest brokerage in the United States. Uh, and a, a lot of the prime uh, big markets were the number one market share. You're the president of some very key important markets. Why don't you talk to us about some of the markets you're overseeing in the Western United States, and let's get into sort of the nuts and bolts. It's been a tough time. Transactions have been down. Interest rates are at 7%. Uh, let's give us the, the high perspective looking over your region of what's been going on and, and what it's looking like on the ground and in the trenches. Yeah, I would say more what it what it feels like, right? And and you're in the trenches uh, every day, so you know, you're you're living this. Um, you know, it's it's been a tough year, right? Like we we anticipated that coming into 2023, we started to feel it at the you know middle of 2022. We knew sort of change was afoot in the market, and you know I think it's fascinating when you look back of call it like the last five-year cycle, right? Like pre-COVID, market was very strong. We were all enjoying, you know, the fruits of that market. It was a, a different time. We go into COVID and we had, you know, a bit of a hiccup of like, oh my goodness, what is this going to mean? And miraculously, we figured out, hey, we're still going to sell lots of real estate, lots of, you know, demand, had even busier times. Um, and then sort of middle of 2022, like it just stopped for, you know, many people um, in the industry. So it's, um, you know, it, it's been a, a cautious 2023. Um, as you said, Compass enjoys the, you know, number one market share position in, you know, most of our California, Hawaii, you know, markets, if not all of them, all the major markets. So we have the best of the best that work here, like yourself. Um, so, you know, that is tremendously beneficial in navigating a changing market. Um, because you have that database, you have that pipeline, you understand how to, to work the deals, um, you know, you understand really how to grind was a, a word you used earlier. And I mean, I think that's what agents are doing, you know, right now. Um, and I think that it is a time in the market to lean in and to really keep your foot on the gas. It's not a time to, to lean out. And we're seeing the agents that focus on relationship, focus on serving their clients, focus on educating their clients, are continuing to do business. We have agents that are up. Like we have agents, I just the call before jumping on here with you is with one of our agents who whose business is up over last year. 
And I talk to people every day that that tell me that. So there's great opportunity in a changing market. And we'll get into that. So I think that's a huge mindset uh, piece of advice that there are people that are their business are, are up and there are opportunities if you step on the gaff and it's a battle. I mean, I know mental mindset for me, it's a battle when you're grinding and running into a wall in a challenging market to keep stepping on the gas, keep leaning in and connecting with your friends and family and clients and you know letting them know what's going on and being there for them. Uh, talk to me about transactions volume. You know, uh, Obviously there's many markets, but if you were gonna do a blanket statement for California, Hawaii, Nevada, what, you know, what percentage volume sales, what, what are we, in terms of units sales, what are, are we down a big chunk? It certainly seems that way in my market in LA, uh, but I'm yeah. curious if you take a bigger view, is it? Yeah, we're seeing so generous, speaking in a generality, like we're generality seeing- in the last six months versus the first six months of last year, which was screaming still. We still had a strong market last year, so it's not such a realistic comparison, but just, you know, even over the last three or four years, the first six months of the year versus this first six months of the year. Yeah, we're seeing transaction volume down 30 to 35%. Um, some markets, it's higher. And then price bands, like in your market, right? The higher price points, like we're seeing up to 40, 42% down in transaction volume. That sweet spot across the state of California is still staying between that two to five million range, right? Like that's where we're seeing the majority of of activity. Um, when we get up into the you know ultra luxury, like the ten million plus, uh, you know, particularly in your market, like I pulled some stats that um, so year to date that forty million plus. Um, in, in the Beverly Hills market, like there were eight transactions done this year compared to 15 last year. So, you know, various price points are reacting differently. Yeah, it, it, what I've noticed, and you would have a bigger view, but every price band is, is different. Uh, and sometimes we're seeing street to street within the same neighborhood, things are different. There's no real patterns. There's not a lot of predictability. Uh, but you know what I'm seeing in the trenches, and when something is really blue chip and desirable in a given neighborhood, uh, at all price points, buyers' demand is there, and they're jumping on it. But it's very rare to find that house. You know, everyone says there's no inventory, and they're right. There's very, there's very little options, especially of that perfect home that everyone wants. But when that home comes up, they're getting activity, and they're trading still at record prices or near record prices. So it's a very confusing uh, market to articulate to people that aren't in it every day. That's what I've found most challenging. Yeah, I mean, we still see lots of multiple offer situations. And I think the the way you described that, that blue chip property um, is absolutely you know correct. Um, and it is a confusing market. I mean, it's confusing for us as practitioners Imagine you're the homeowner or the buyer and you're trying to like figure that out and you have so much noise of the media to try to then, um, you know, add on to making a great decision for yourself and your family. And I think that's why for, you know, us as practitioners, 
our value is just so critical to, you know, understand the market and educate our clients. And, you know, when one of the things that I think we really discovered uh, coming out of COVID was that the COVID environment made us so transactional, right? We did so many deals like this, right? Where we didn't meet in person. We, you know, we e-signatured things. It was, you know, fast, get in, make the offer. Um, and what we found in talking to our agents coming out of COVID is when they looked at their business in sort of 2022, they found fewer repeat and referral transactions um, as source of business, which we know is like the vast majority of where, you know, our business comes from. So in, in working with some of our, our agents on that and trying to figure out, well, why was it? Well, when you looked back at your sales over, you know, 2020, 2021, um, you know, you didn't meet those people. You didn't like have coffee. You didn't have dinner. You weren't sitting in the car driving from house to house. You weren't like two hours at the inspection. Like you were a transaction. Yeah. We couldn't even really, we couldn't sit in the car and drive around for touring for two or three hours. It was follow me, follow me. You didn't, you didn't build a relationship. So I think coming into 2023, that's been one of the things that we've really been leaning into across Compass. And, and you'll hear us, you know, talk about that, you know, COVID stole our culture, right? Like it stole that in person with our clients, with, with us, with our agents, um, and, and we've really been focused on like, we need to rebuild relationships and make sure we're focusing on being productive means being connected in real life. And, and that is, a, you know, a huge part of what I think a lot of people need to kind of think about as they're navigating their way through this market. That is such a, uh, you know, that resonates that point because you're right. We were also with mass and disconnected and, and moving quick. So it was a very unique dynamic. We were so busy, yet we weren't interacting. And this is an interaction relationship business. And if you take that playbook and try to apply it to 2023, it doesn't work at all. It's the opposite. So you think we need to get back to face-to-face, -face, having lunches, dinners, breakfast, calling people, you know, talking them through and spending time with each other and connecting again versus racing to try to get a transaction done because there's such, you know, there's such a frenzy in the market. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, for your listeners, like if you're looking to make sure that pipeline is, is full, like go back to those clients, those transactions that you had closed in 2020, 2021, I'd even go back to 19. Uh, you know, what is a relationship with those folks? Like re-engage with them. If you're a newer agent that maybe didn't have that many transactions, like it's time to really pour into your sphere of influence, right? And really start working that sphere of influence. Um, one of our uh, top teams in Studio City, um, you know, just spent five hours with his team door knocking. Right. They just went out to a neighborhood and they parked like like I used to do this, like when I was selling with my office, like they just parked and they said, you take that street and you take that street and I'll take this street. Go. And then they met up and, you know, like that's the type of stuff that like, we have to do. Back to basics. Back to basics. That's the cliche. I love it. I love it. 
All right, and what is your crystal ball? How how long do you think this is going to take to get interest rates back down to, you know, 5% or so? Are we in this for 18 months, two years, one year? Of course, nobody has a clue. But what does your crystal ball tell you? I wish I had the, the crystal ball in that. You know, earlier in the year, we were anticipating that maybe by the end of the year, we'd see rates like get into that kind of 5% range. Well, now we're into the middle of the year. I would say that like the crystal ball was a little off on that. So it's not looking like that's going to happen. Um, so I, you know, I think we're kind of in this, right? Um, I do agree with the sentiment that I think, you know, buyers are adjusting to, you know, six, 7% interest rates. Uh, you know, I, I think we're like, it's looking like we're likely going to stay in that range. Um but yeah, that's that's the best that the crystal ball can offer. Yeah, and look, I'm I'm in de- I'm in deep, and that's what I see. Look, it's you got to grind. A lot of these points you've talked about, you got to grind or get left behind. You got to do the basics and connect, and you can't control the interest rates and anything else. And you know, right now, it's a really the clients that are transacting are the ones that really have to, and you know, everyone else will be a periphery long term client to stay connected to but it's we came from a market where for 10 years people were just buying and selling for not necessarily for fun but it wasn't because they had to right and now people are like you're unless you have to unless you have a fundamental reason those are the people we need to focus on and those are the that's the time we need to spend those are the clients that are going to transact and everybody else are relationship builders and connecting and because that could be a year from now five years ten years from now and and we, that's all getting back to basics. So I love all that feedback. All right, so let's get into some personal stuff. What are some of your, are you a, a runner? Is Are you a runner? I'm a runner, yes. What are some other, so you're like marathon, 10Ks? Yeah, so marathon, so uh, so endurance athlete. Ooh. Yeah. Talk about grind. That is tough. That is a grind. That is a grind. So I, you know, I grew up as a competitive gymnast. So have always been um, like an athlete. Um, so yeah, so now as as an adult, uh, like my hobby is endurance sports, um, triathlon, I'm an Ironman. I like to say I'm a retired Ironman. You've done Ironman. Because of, well, retired, because that, that's, uh, that's a lot. Um, but I do um, do long distance running. So right now I'm training for the Marine Corps Marathon. Um, that will happen in Washington, D.C. a little bit later uh, this year. Uh, it's a marquee race in the country. Um, it'll be my first time doing that particular marathon. Um, I've done New York City Marathon. Of course, L.A. Marathon. I've done a couple times. San Diego Marathon. Uh, so, yeah, I've done a few of them. Yeah, I've done many triathlons. I've done the full distance Ironman triathlon, which is 140.6 miles swimming, biking, and running. That one, you do a 2.4 mile swim. Then you get on a bike for 112 miles. And then you do a marathon. Love it. So easy. Yeah. 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 So my my friends, uh, including my husband, who's also an Ironman and, and actively training for, for some races now, We'll, we'll tease when you only do a marathon, like you're really not like showing up, like, cause unless you do the swim and the, and the bike, like you're taking the easy way. You're, you're dogging it. Uh, you're yeah. mailing it in. All right. 
How about some, while you're training, what music would you be listening to to fire you up for that triathlon? What's on, what's on your playlist? Yeah, you know, I normally listen to podcasts and audiobooks. Okay. Um, occasionally I'll, I'll like, you know, have a playlist that I will, uh, jam out to if I need some extra, you know, motivation on a long run, but, um, it really is, uh, like running is my recharge time. It's time to get some of the right thoughts in your ears from, you 